Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Now, the body part of me is my flesh, this temporary tent that I live in, my five senses, my motor responses. My soul is my emotions and my will in my mind, my desires, that's the soul. And then there's the spirit. And that's the part of me that's really undefinable, but the part of me that relates to God, the part of me that's going to live forever. Your spirit will live somewhere forever. If you've ever attended a committee meeting or a board meeting, some kind of gathering with many people, you've probably experienced disunity and disagreement. Many people means many opinions, and most of the time people are committed to getting their way. This kind of selfish ambition is so destructive among a body of believers. Disunity works against the purposes of the gospel. This means that we all have to give up our own ideas of how things should go and instead seek the Lord. If we're all on His page, we're together, unified. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 32, with part two of our message entitled, Looking Out for Number One. ransom has another part in the Greek that you could use, and it's called the word substitute. So when Jesus was here on the cross, all the sins of the world were placed upon him. Well, whose are all the sins of the world? I like to say it generically, all the sins of the world. And the problem comes that you have to say it was my sin that put him on the cross. Every sin you've ever committed, nail Jesus to the cross. Every sin you will commit, nail Jesus Christ to the cross. It's your sin. It's my sin. It's not your neighbor's sin. It's not your neighbor on this side's sin. It's my sin. My sin that did it. And when Jesus was nailed on the cross, remember what sin does. Sin always separates. So God looked down, and on the cross, we'll hear this as we go through the book of Mark, Jesus says, Father, why are you abandoning me? Because God could not look. A holy God could not look upon sin. So this is the requirement. The ransom was not just the good life. It was the death on the cross. Because of that, you and I have been set free. Now back to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Let's look at Jesus, the servant. We've just looked at Jesus, the Savior. Verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside, and he told them, what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So let's get the picture. Jesus is walking and he's headed. Notice the verse says there, up. when you go up to Jerusalem, it's high. 
So they were walking up to Jerusalem. Now notice something very important there in verse 32. Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, the verse says that Jesus was leading the way. In the Greek, that means he was walking alone. He was out in front of the disciples. They were following him. You can imagine what was going through his mind as he's, he knows very well what his outcome is. He knows what God's plan for him is. It's not a surprise. He's well aware of it. The disciples are watching him walk alone. And it says there that they are astonished, some of them afraid. Why? Well, they're astonished that Jesus continues to walk toward his death. I mean, he tells them there what's going to happen. If, if you knew that if you left today by the front way out here and got in your car and you drove, turned to the right and headed down here, at the very next intersection there'd be a tremendous crash and you'd be killed in the crash. Which way would you go home? I'd turn left. I might even walk home. I'm not going that way. But the Bible says in another passage in Matthew about this same area that Jesus set his face as a flint to Jerusalem. There was no right, there was no left. He was headed to the death. I believe that's why he was walking alone, because he was talking to the Father, God, I need your help, Dad. This is going to be tough. I know it's out there, but I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I need your help. So the disciples were astonished, but they were also afraid. Remember the word we. If Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to be persecuted, guess what? The we includes them. So they're going, wow, we're, we're part of this. Something's going to happen bad here. There's going to be some difficult times. And so the Bible says that they were very concerned. Even though Jesus wasn't going to be sidetracked, they were concerned. Now, Jesus takes his disciples apart. And he gives them a little private lesson. You've seen this happen before. And in this lesson is the third announcement of Jesus going to his death. But the very first time here, he mentions where it's going to happen. It's in Jerusalem. Notice in those verses there what he mentions. He mentions the role of the Gentiles, the role of the religious Jews, and one other very interesting role. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. To the 12 disciples, he's saying, somebody who loves me is going to betray me. I often wondered when this statement came, what Jesus was thinking as he said it, and Judas was listening. Did Judas know at this point he was the one? Even though Jesus was going to be betrayed, he was still headed to Jerusalem. I want to give you three things to write this morning, a lot more than that, but three keys to our teaching today. And I encourage you to take notes because it will help you to remember. The first key is this. Selfish ambition hurts you. Selfish ambition hurts you. We will see this morning bold, selfish ambition by the disciples in the whole camp. And I want to reflect on that for all of us. Look at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, or the another, another passage says the sons of thunder, came to him. Teacher, they say, we want you to do for us whatever 
we ask. Now that's a bold statement, isn't it? We want you to answer whatever we're going to ask you. Can you imagine your teenager coming to you and you agreeing to that? Can you imagine a six-year-old coming to you and you say, sure, no problem, whatever you want, we'll do. Not a chance. What a dumb move. But these guys come boldly. Now, when I became a Christian, I realized in my life, I was a three-part being, a tripart being. Every person is made of three things, body and soul and spirit. Every person sitting in this room this morning, every person outside, is body, soul, and spirit. Now, the body part of me is my flesh, this temporary tent that I live in, my five senses, my motor responses. My soul is my emotions and my will and my mind, my desires. That's the soul. And then there's the spirit. And that's the part of me that's really undefinable, but the part of me that relates to God, the part of me that's going to live forever. Your spirit will live somewhere forever. Now, when man was created, there was an order to this body, soul, and spirit. You see the order on the left side. The spirit man ruled. When Adam and Eve were perfect, the spirit part of them was in contact with God. There was communication and intimate relationship. And that is the part of man that is ruled by the spirit. That's the Christian. Now, when Adam and Eve fell and sinned, there was a tremendous reversal. And you see on the right side, the new order of man. He gave in to his body, the natural desires. Eve said, that fruit looks good. I'll try it. Adam, you want some? It looks good. The senses. They tried it, and man fell. The order was reversed to body, soul, and spirit. At that point, they began to conform to Satan's rule, to his system. They followed their natural sinful nature, their fleshly nature, and they lost fellowship with God and died spiritually. So a sinner this morning is ruled by their body desires. And a Christian is to be ruled by their spirit, man or woman. Now when I became a Christian, I moved from this over here to the spirit part. When I became a Christian, the problem was only one part of me became a Christian. And that part is my spirit. The part that's going to know God forever. I have a brand new spirit. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. The problem is, I'm left with a soul and body of the old Mark Balmer before he came to know Jesus Christ. So if you get saved and you come in and go to our prayer room and, and you walk out as, as you've been saved, your spirit is totally saved. You're going to heaven with God forever. That's the only part that really matters anyway. Praise God. But the tent you're living in is the same tent you walked in with. And I always say it like this. If you weighed 50 pounds too much when you walked in, you weigh 50 pounds too much when you walked out. You're left with the old body. If you're a little Alzheimer'y when you went in, your mind comes out a little Alzheimer'y. It doesn't have it. So the struggle, the struggle to be a spirit-filled Christian happens in the soul or the mind. 
The battleground is always the mind. So the scripture says, and you can get more of this in Romans 8, here's where the battle comes. There's only one thing that renews my mind that causes me to think like God. It's doing this, studying His Word. So what you're doing this morning is you're getting an adjustment to your mind, which then says, my will, my mind, emotion, and goes along with my spirit and says to the body, keep it under, buddy. Keep it under, gal. I'm letting God rule me today. Now, when we fall into sin as a Christian and we blow it, the order gets reversed for a second. You know what that means when, the, when you get angry and when you lose it. What ruled there? It was your body ruled. You, you just lashed out at somebody. So we ask forgiveness and the, it goes back the other way again. Now, if you're a carnal Christian, 1 Corinthians 3, what happens in a carnal Christian is that it's, this bounces back and forth all the time. And more of your life is spent really with the body ruling than the spirit ruling. And Paul says you shouldn't be that way. Quit being a baby Christian. Get in here. Get into the Word of God. And the baby Christian is the one that really listens to the Word of God but doesn't really apply it in their life. So they're ruled by their carnal nature. Now we're all sometimes ruled by our carnal nature. There isn't anybody here that's a perfectly spirit-filled Christian. They don't exist. You're going to see the disciples with this struggle. So turn to Galatians 5 quickly and we'll see what some of the effects of this sinful nature are. Now, when you do this, you have to realize that the sinful nature loves to exhibit itself, and it causes great danger in my life. Galatians 5, General Electric Power Company, Galatians 5, chapter 19. These are the symptoms. When, when you and I blow it, you can find the symptoms of these things here. Now, when we read these verses, as we start these verses, most people go, oh, praise God, this looks pretty good to me. I don't have any of these. Just hold on and keep reading. Verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. So we go, praise God, none of those things problem with me. Hold on, here we go. It goes downhill for all of us from here. Hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions. It's our whole topic. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life is based on those if that's the way you're living, and by the way, without the Spirit of God living in you, there is absolutely no way to live spirit, soul. You can't try to be good enough to do it. It's God's Spirit that enables you and me to put the Spirit man in rulership of my life. So don't sit here this morning and say, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. We're not talking about somebody turning over a new leaf when they come to Christ. We're talking about somebody being totally changed from inside out. And that requires the Spirit of God. Now, selfishness, it's that which strives for position, for power, and for honor. You say, well, why are you even talking about this in the church today? I mean, a Christian striving for position, power, and honor? And you betcha. In many places. Now, godliness means that God is in control. I do what He wants. Selfishness, this selfish ambition means my old sinful nature is in control. I do what I want. 
So the battleground, it's there all the time. It's expressed simply by this wonderful little two-word definition of sin. I will. So in your life, when God comes to you and says, well, man, this sermon hit me right between the head. I've been jealous this week, or I had a fit of rage. And the Holy Spirit says to you, confess it and get right. Well, then I make excuses. I'm not going to get right. Or God speaks to your heart this morning, you're not a believer. And he wants you to come to him and he wants you to express, experience his wonderful love. And you go, well, maybe another day. So you're saying to God, no, my will, not yours. What is that? That's sin. And you continue on in your pattern of sin. The same for a Christian. Now, this ongoing battle was exemplified to me this week. It is exemplified to me all the time in my own life. Years too. In our place where we live now, there's about 200 new homes. And they had a meeting this week. And it was about kind of safety and kind of a safety watch throughout the neighborhood. And there was maybe 40 or 50 people there, not the 200 homes, because whatever, for whatever reason, all the people didn't show. I sat in the meeting for about an hour and a half, and I was miserable. Because they were talking about, well, where should we put the stop signs? What should the speed limit be? We're a gated community. When should the gates open? When should the gates go? Eight o'clock's too early. Seven o'clock's too late. Six o'clock's like this. Somebody just ran into the gate. What's wrong with them? Who's going to take care of the yards? Where's the garbage can? I mean, the whole meeting was incredible. It's like 50 people came with 50 agendas. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Their own agendas. I'm thinking... Praise God there wasn't 200 people here. We'd be still in the meeting trying to find some. I didn't say nothing in the meeting. I was miserable in the meeting. When I walked out, and I knew I was studying this, I now know why I live in something called a subdivision. It's a little slow, you're getting it. Subdivision. <laughs> because everybody was there with their own agenda. Is that like the world? Could it be like the church? Oh, very much. We'll talk about that more later. Now, back in the book of Mark, we know that when these two guys come to Jesus to ask their request, we know from the book of Matthew that really James and John came up with the idea, but James and John's mother is the one that approaches Jesus. Now, if you know anything about Jewish mothers... Sometimes they can tell you just like it is. Bold, right to the face. It's interesting to me that Mary, many people believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was this mother here was actually her sister. So what James and John are probably trying to think themselves is this. We're first cousins to Jesus. Let's ask Jesus' aunt to bring the request. Maybe little family ties will bring kind of a neat thing here in the family. They're, they're trying for anything to get their request answered. Now notice something interesting. They come privately to Jesus. So Jesus has walked into this area. We don't know what it was like, but maybe there was a well here and Jesus stopped to get a drink and the other disciple just sat around on the outside and laid down a little bit. And over here in the corner, there's James and John and they're saying to mom, 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 now's the time. And they're pushing, you can see him pushing mom. Pushing mom. And here she comes to Jesus. So let's see what she says. Jesus responds back in verse 36, chapter 10. What do you want 
me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, Well, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Interesting to me that the disciples evidently have Alzheimer's. Just a chapter or two before, a few days before, Jesus had caught them discussing who is the greatest in the kingdom. And he said to them, what are you doing? You're going to be great. You have to become small. You have to serve. The way to greatness is service. Here they come again. Evidently, they have poor hearing. They haven't listened. And it's like many times you and I. The word comes into our ear and it goes like this. Hello. Hello. Nothing registers in here. We come, we listen to the word of God, but it's just a breeze blowing through. This is what happened to the disciples. Nothing was registering. Now, really, what happened is this. James and John knew Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. They still didn't get it that it was really totally a kingdom of heaven. They were looking for him to establish that kingdom on earth. And in those days, you remember, they're under the authority of Rome. Anytime there was a king in those days, that position was the most important. But the next two important positions were to the right and the left. These were positions of power and honor and authority. So what the disciples, these two guys, are doing is this. They come to Jesus and they want the best seats. They're looking out for number one. They don't care anything about the other disciples. Interestingly, they don't care anything about Jesus' agenda of going to the cross. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking about number one. They're trying to compete for first place. They want to maneuver or outmaneuver anybody else because they want power, advantage. They want to dominate rather than serve. Could that be in the church today? Could that be in our life, in your life? You betcha. I see in our life today, in the churches today, we have, even in the church, young men get out of seminary and they come and they're looking for stepping stones to greatness. Small little churches they're looking for. And as you know, most maybe you don't know, probably more than 90% of the churches in America are 100 people or less. So they start out in a small little church and think, well, this isn't, this isn't worthy of me. By the way, Jesus said, never despise small beginnings. It has nothing to do with the smallness of the largeness. We think today everything is, you know, it, it's going to come back to bite us when we see we'll end up here with one bank, one car company, huge, and say, well, this is better. No, it isn't going to be better. By the way, we're going to end up with one world government. Is it going to be better? It is not going to be better. But we're going to be out of here, so don't worry about it. Now, those of you that don't accept Christ today, take your chances. You're going to be here. I'll guarantee you ahead of time, it isn't better. It isn't better. So the disciples are here, and they're seeing what we've seen in the church. People trying to maneuver the best elder, the best band, the best positions, the, the soloist that's known, the best parking spot out here. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they began to conform to Satan's rule. No longer under the perfection of God's covering, they now had to battle their flesh. Today, we heard how a sinner is still ruled by the flesh. 
But as a follower of Christ, we are to be ruled by the Spirit. We're still tethered to these bodies, though, which creates a battleground between the flesh and the Spirit. The weapon? Study the Word. Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series the next time you join us. For those of you that like to have CD archives of Bible teachings, we'd like to offer you a CD of Pastor Mark's message from today. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5. This is only to cover the materials and shipping it takes for you to receive your CD. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option. Now, here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. The message number from today's broadcast is MB3146, and the title is Looking Out for Number One. Again, the message number from today's broadcast is MB3146, and the title of the message is Looking Out for Number One. Or if you'd like, you can just remember today's date. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Lessons for Living as we take a look at the ways that our own selfishness can hurt believers, unbelievers, and ourselves. Our desire to get and get and get runs contrary to Jesus' purpose for us, which is to give, give, and give some more. As a fellowship of believers, there will be unity in serving, and we'll see how when everyone is out for themselves, there is division. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living.